people don't know where to start when they're thinking about becoming a business owner. And, you know, if nothing else, franchising, you know, it, it accelerates the that that decision making process. You know, are there trade offs, you know, in entering franchise? Absolutely. Like control is, you know, probably the biggest aspect. For, but for the certain a certain type of uh, entrepreneur, uh, you know, franchise model uh, is, you know, there's a lot of advantages. The following podcast is brought to you by Thrive. Manage, run, and grow your business all from one dashboard using one login. Small business runs better on Thrive. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Whitting on Main Street. And this week, for all of you who have ever thought of running a franchise, we have the leader of the International Franchise Association, Mr. Matt Haller the president and CEO of the IFA. Welcome, Matt. Hey, it's great to be here, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So quick background on Matt. Matt has been a key member of the IFA team for 10 years, building extensive relationships with all three segments of the IFA membership, franchisors, franchisees, and suppliers. He became president and CEO of the organization in June 21, so just over two years ago. During his tenure, Matt has expanded the association's lobbying, coalition building, grassroots, research, communications capabilities, it took on some of the more difficult challenges, including defending the business model against the joint employer threat. We got into that and significant legislative and re regulatory issues at the federal, state, and local levels. During the pandemic, he led the team's focus on helping the franchise business model survive, ensuring the Paycheck Protection Program and other relief efforts included eligibility for franchise businesses while working with the internal team to innovate how to provide FAM, IFA members real value for their membership. What should listeners get out of this episode? Are you interested in owning a franchise? Let Matt tell you why it's a good idea, but also what you need to watch out for. So Matt, welcome to the show. Quick background, uh, how did you get into the world of franchising? Like a lot of people, there was no intentionality behind it. Uh, it just sort of found me at a point in my career where I was actually running, uh, or not running, but working in another industry uh, association in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, really, I hadn't thought about franchising as a sector of the economy. And there was an opening um, with the association staff to uh, run communications. And so, you know, that's what brought me into franchising uh, at the association level, um, you know, learn on the fly about the industry and what it does and, you know, how diverse uh, it is in terms of types of businesses that are available and, you know, the great supplier community that's out there. Um, and so, yeah, like I say, it's often um, franchising sort of finds people at a moment where they're looking to make a change, um, you know, in how they're, you know, generating wealth for their their family. And so my story is not that dissimilar from many others. So tell us about the IFA. What does the organization do and how does it help, you know, each of the constituents, the fr franchisors, franchisees and suppliers? Yeah, so our mission is to protect, enhance and promote franchising. We call it PEP. And um, what we do, we've been around for 67 years now. Mm. Um, we pr protect franchising through government relations and advocacy. Uh, we can talk about some of those uh, issues that we're focused on right now. Uh, we enhance franchising through, you know, convening the industry through events, um, through professional development opportunities um, and education, um, both kind of formal education. We have a certification program. Uh, as well as informal education, you know, through our conferences, events, webinars, things like that. Um, and we promote franchising to the general public. 
um, through our website, through our publications, with different research um, that we put out um, through our foundation. We have two foundation programs uh, that are quite robust. Um, our diversity institute that helps uh, underrepresented people um, learn about um, franchising, gives them tools and resources, as well as our vet fran program um, focused on getting veterans uh, into the franchise model. Yeah, and you do a certain amount of, uh, I guess, what we call lobbying, right? So, what 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 would your lobbying be about? What would it be for? Yeah, so either for or against policies that either could potentially make it harder for a franchise uh, owner uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, be successful, you know, generate um, generate revenue, things like that, but also things that are kind of business model um, issues mm. uh, that could impact. Uh, labor or uh, brand protection, uh, things things like that. So it's the federal level, it's the state level, it's the local level. A lot of work is with uh, with regulatory agencies. Um, we get involved in a lot of first party litigation, uh, challenging laws or regulations uh, that are put forward by uh, by governments. Um, you know, we want to make sure that it, while franchising. Uh, you know, does need some amount of uh, regulation to protect brands and to protect consumers uh, that, you know, the heavy hand of government can sometimes go too far. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our job is to, you know, be in there educating them about uh, the impact of policies that are uh, being considered and, you know, hopefully uh, the outcomes, and we've been fairly successful uh, at ensuring the outcomes, you know, enable franchising to continue to thrive. Got it. So let's turn to like, why people become franchisees. Um, you know, sure. much of what we discuss on Winning on Main Street is about independent entrepreneurs, you know, startups, in this, particularly in the services space. Um, so why do people become franchisees as opposed to becoming, you know, independent entrepreneurs who might open their own plumbing business or restaurant or what have you? What, what, why the franchise route? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that we hear um, of prospective franchisee that that ultimately follows through is people don't know where to start when they're thinking about becoming a business owner. Whether they're thinking about become you know starting an independent plumbing business or you know going into a franchise, and you know if nothing else, franchising you know it it accelerates the that that decision making process um, and eliminates some of the I don't know where to start to even do this. Um, you know, beyond that, it's, you don't need to be a plumbing expert in order to, you know, be a successful franchisee in the plumbing business, right? You're in all likelihood, not even engaging in, you know, the service, right? You're involved in, you know, building a team, right? You're involved in, you know, evaluating, you know, your PL. you're involved in, you know, the community, right? And so, you know, those are some of the things when people think about, you know, I want to be a business owner. Well, you know, are there trade-offs, you know, in entering franchise? Absolutely. Like control is, you know, probably the biggest aspect, for, but for the certain, a certain type of uh, entrepreneur, uh, you know, franchise model uh, is, you know, there's a lot of advantages. Um, but as we always say, it comes with some trade-offs. Right. So I'd like to get into the math, if you will, um, of being a franchisee. So uh, maybe just walk us through, if I'm thinking for the first time about buying a franchise, um, what should I be thinking about in terms of cost? You know, what, what is it going to cost me to get involved? And then what is likely going to be the income stream I would enjoy in the future? 
Yeah, so the cost varies you know, significantly depending on the industry so you, you, you're, you're contemplating. So franchising is used by over 300 different industries. Um, you know, there's really not a franchising industry. It's a business model that's used by, you know, hundreds of industries. So we talked about plumbing, right? That could be, you know, one industry where, you know, there is a, you know, plethora of brands that have, uh, you know, a plumbing franchise. Um, at the low end, uh, in terms of initial, you know, franchise fees, you know, it could be a $10,000 franchise fee, you know, all the way up to, you know, $100,000 or more for something, you know, in the restaurant space or a hotel. Uh, most franchisors today are looking for multi-unit um, franchisees, or at least the desire to become a multi-unit franchisee. You know, that's where you really get into more economy of scale on the, uh, on the, on the, on the franchisee side. Uh, and, you know, most franchisors, not all, but most would prefer to work with, uh, prefer to have fewer overall franchisees uh, mm. within their system. Now, it, that, that's not a, that's, I don't want to paint, you know, it's hard to paint franchising with like one brush. Sure. Generally speaking, uh, where there's a desire uh, to have franchisees that have the means uh, and the ability to, to scale. Um but the you know the initial franchise fee is only one element of uh, of the startup cost, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on again the industry that you're focused on, you know you could have you know real estate um, you know costs that that you need to factor in, um, or even if it's a mobile franchise, you could have you know other costs like buying equipment or trucks or vans. Um, if it's a mobile kind of service um, business, home services like a you know landscaping business or you know plumbing business. Um, yeah, and then there's going to be initial, you know, marketing fees and you know other uh, other aspects to it. Generally speaking, when you look at you know franchise opportunities that are out there, and franchise.org is a great website. That's our website to look at. You know the 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 IFA membership. There's 1,200 brands um, that you could look at. We list initial franchise fee, kind of total investment required up front, um, and then a lot of franchisors will ha will have a sort of net worth um, requirements. Uh, that they would evaluate as you get into that potential and in investment opportunity. In terms of what, you know, if you're a franchisee, you're obviously going to business to make money. Um, one of the things that we encourage uh, franchisees, prospective franchisees to look at uh, when they're looking at the franchise disclosure document, which is the legal requirements, the document required by, that a brand uh, makes available to franchisees is an item 19 disclosure. Um, so there are 23 items uh, in the franchise disclosure documents. Um, item 19 is uh, what's known as a financial performance representation that a brand uh, is not required to make. Um, this is one of the optional disclosures. Um, a little over 60% of brands uh, make an item 19 uh, disclosure within an item 19 disclosure. Um, you know, some, you know, will break down uh, their item 19, you know, all the way down to EBITDA. And, you know, that's a really healthy, what I would say, a really healthy and robust uh, disclosure. Um, others will, you know, sort of cherry pick uh, data and just say, you know, our highest performing franchisee does X and our lowest performing franchisee does Y. Um, others will look at, you know, a top quartile, center quartile, um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's where, you know, having outside counsel that understands franchising and is looking at it from a prospective franchisee's perspective is a really critical aspect if you become truly serious 
uh, about uh, getting into the business model. Okay, so uh, just to push down on this a little bit more, so there's the upfront fee, which you you said there could be anywhere from ten to one hundred, and I, I would imagine for a you know McDonald's in the middle of a big city might even be more. Um, and then there is the you know you start generating the revenue, and most franchisors require you to basically cut them a check off the top for a certain amount, right? Which can be like seven, eight percent. So that amount goes into your annual spend with the franchisor, uh, which pays you for, I guess, all the systems and brand advertising and so forth, right? Yeah, so you're talking about the royalty. So I was yeah. focused on the upfront costs. Mm -hmm. There are ongoing uh, costs that are required off your top line sales in most cases. And the royalty could be as little as 3% or you know, some brands are you know, well over 10% of the top line revenue is paid to the franchisor. Uh, there are often other fees. Um, some franchisors bake all their fees into the royalty. Others like to break out marketing fees separately or technology fees separately. There could be, so those are recurring fees. There can be, you know, special assessments that could be made. And these are, you know, disclosures that are also required in that franchise disclosure document. Um, so understanding, you know, the economics of the business and understanding kind of the fee structure is the most critical thing for a prospective franchisee to understand and come in eyes wide open. Um, also understand that, you know, the, the economy and con consumer trends are going to change, right? We just went through a pandemic and, you know, a lot of franchisors relaxed royalties, but there was also investments that needed to be make, made in certain types of industries to better serve customers. Uh, and, you know, the flexibility has to exist on the franchise brand side um, to be able to continue to adapt the system to changing consumer demands. Um, and there has to be the understanding on the franchisee side that, you know, we want our brand to continue to, you know, evolve and innovate because, you know, we have shared interests, right? At the end of the day, a, a, a robust franchise system, you know, is not making money solely by selling new territories or locations. They're making money because their franchisees are profitable and they're continuing to generate revenue, um, you know, into the franchisor off the, the, the growth of, uh, of, of royalty revenue. We're yeah. called royalty self-sufficiency. So just one more question about um, sort of the economics, then we can move on. So if I am buying into a franchise, I have that upfront fee, I have that royalty payment we discussed, uh, and then I, I'm just trying to think about what do I get for that? So um, do I pay as the franchisee for all of the materials myself? So whether it's the trucks to go to your house, fix your plumbing, or the burger meat and the potatoes to make the burger and fries, all that stuff is on me. What is the, what am I getting for my 8% my upfront fee? Is it just maybe you can enumerate? I mean, the brand I know is one big one, so it's a reputation, yeah. it's a goodwill. Um, but there's a lot of systems I get. Can you talk to the systems? Yeah, so the brand is certainly, you know, if you're going to open, you know, Gordon's Burger Joint in Long Island, you know, nobody's ever heard of Gordon. And, you know, you might have a great burger, but nobody, you have no customer demand at, at the beginning, right? If you're going to open a McDonald's, you know, you have a built-in, you know, customer base uh, that already exists, but you also have, you know, a system that's been perfected. So you have a, a POS, right? A point of sale, you know, system. Um, in terms of the products that you are required to buy, you know, to make your McDonald's, you know, like every other McDonald's, there's an economy of scale in terms of 
you know, meat and pickles and ketchup and, you know, not just the product that you're serving, but also the look and feel of that restaurant or that retail establishment. So, you know, there's going to be a relationship. It's called, you know, our supply chain, right? That the brand is leveraging on behalf of its franchisees for that economy of scale. So back to Gordon, if you're, you know, doing this yourself, you know, you're going to have to go find, you know, somebody to, you know, do your flooring, your vinyl, right? Your drive-through, your, you know, all those elements um, of the system. Um, the other piece is labor, right? So the brand isn't hiring or setting wages, but in terms of employment, which is one of the biggest challenges in many of our member companies, right? You know, employees um, are, you know, desire to work in these types of businesses and often pay and benefits, um, you know, there's economy of scales there um, that, uh, that we see in our research as well. So, uh, but, you know, not every franchisor is created equal. And I think, you know, if you're a prospective franchisee, like the time to be asking these questions, what do I get for my royalty and my other fees is on the front end and, yeah. you know, you know, shop around, right. Um, you know, compare and contrast, uh, you know, there, there are, and these things can be negotiated too, not with every brand. Um, the less mature a franchisor is, you know, you might have more ability uh, to negotiate um, certain terms on the front end of the franchise agreement. But, you know, once you're into that relationship, you know, the contract governs and typically it's a 10 or longer year contract uh, that you're entering into. Yeah, super helpful. So moving on from just the economics, um, as we talk about these different types of franchising, uh, if I'm a first timer thinking about buying a franchise, becoming becoming a franchisee. Um, what are some of the, for lack of a better term, hot industries these days that you would say people are moving into? You know, you got so many different types of industries. You mentioned, you know, restaurants and there's gyms and workout facilities, there's beauty, there's there's a, almost any one. Uh, that and anything that you could do, you could do with a franchise, right? What are some of the industries that are sort of most popular right now? Is that is it something you can put your finger on? Yeah, yeah. So we 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 research this every year. I mean, quick service restaurants continue to be you know incredibly popular, and you know despite a feeling that they're you know we're, we're, we're it's a saturated hmm. you know uh, you know there's too many restaurants, too many chains, right? Uh, the innovation that's happening there, um, both in terms of brand. Uh, and, uh, you know, delivery, there's still a lot of, uh, mm. of demand, uh, both on the consumer side and a lot of, you know, innovation and, you know, different types of ethnic, um, cuisine, uh, that's, that's entering. So definitely the restaurant industry and particularly quick service and fast casual, um, that are, you know, doing business without in many cases, any in-store or physical retail footprint, like everything's happening through, you know, third-party delivery and drive-through um, with changing consumer behaviors that were accelerated during COVID. Um, another category that is very hot right now is, uh, is pets. Mm. Um, you know, if you look at the research trends of uh, pet ownership uh, in this country, you know, a huge, uh, huge increase. And with that comes, you know, the need for pet care, um, and, and that is a growing category. Um, another area that is, you know, fairly robust right now is education, mm. um, both childcare as well as, um, after school kind of specialty, uh, education. So those are three that are doing, you know, quite well. 
and uh, there are a lot of a lot of options. Um, the last, I guess, I'd mention you touched on it is health and fitness um, and health and beauty. Uh, um, people are you know more focused on mental health as well as you know health and fitness than ever before. And while there are there are a lot of brands um, out there, and you know just like every other category, not all created equal. Um, there is a lot of uh, a lot of development happening in those categories. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned education. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had on the show the CEO of a uh, franchise called Class 101, which provides right. consulting, counseling to people to get them from high school into college, lots of services they provide, which is a gr growing franchise. Um, and we've interviewed many uh, on the show. Uh, uh, things you never even thought about. One, one that I liked was a guy who runs a handyman uh, franchise out of Canada. Yeah. And they now have about 20 locations in Canada, and I think they're moving into the U.S. And, you know, if you've ever tried to hand, uh, hire a handyman near you, you're like, I could use that because it's a hard to find somebody, uh, especially somebody good at a reasonable price. So I could, I could see that becoming a thing. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. So with all those uh, uh, great opportunities for people to get into franchising, um, I'm curious about how many franchises fail because when you're in the small independent small business category a statistic that's always thrown out is the number of small business failures you know independent businesses fail at something like the rate of 50 percent in five years i would think that franchises would fail a lot less because it is a system that's been worked out there is you know a collective mindset you know the franchisor has obviously thought this through um is the success rate much better for the franchisees? Success is a hard thing to measure, um, especially in, in franchising, because what you when you look at the data, like one way to look at it is renewals. OK, mm -hmm. so franchise terms are generally, you know, 10 or more years. Do franchisees renew, um, you know, at the end of their terms? And we see in the data that um, a firm that we, we work closely with called Frandata looks at is, you know, around nine and 10, nine out of 10 franchisees renew their terms um, when they come up for expiration. So that's a, that's a positive indicator. Um, the other, uh, you know, really, uh, I think positive trend, and I touched on it earlier, is the growth in multi-unit, multi-brand um, yeah. ownership. Um, you know, people that succeed in franchising tend to continue to invest both in the same system, as well as become diversified across multiple brands and multiple industries. Uh, both of those trends, you know, continue to, to explode. Um, do franchisees, you know, fail? Yeah, all the time. Um, but oftentimes if a franchisee, you know, let's say a single unit person gets into the business for a couple of years and, you know, isn't, you know, isn't profitable, isn't happy with the franchisor, maybe they shouldn't have gotten into it. It's not like that location you know, actually goes away, right? Mm. So you might have a franchisee that owns, you know, a, you know, a, a, a restaurant and, you know, they decide to exit the system, you know, typically they're going to sell that location either back to the franchisor who's then going to find another franchisee to operate it. The company may operate it for a period of time and then find a new franchisee. So, you know, with all these factors, it's a really hard thing to just say, you know, like independent, you know, the restaurant statistic is, you know, nine out of 10 restaurants or whatever fail, you know, within the first year. Um, it's, it's virtually impossible to, you know, get a statistic like that um, mm -hmm. for, uh, for franchising. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, just that you raised an interesting point there. So if I want to sell or get out or sell the franchise back to the franchisor, how does that work? Do I negotiate a price? Is there a preset fee? Is that in the original contract? Uh, there's not typically going to be a preset fee. It's going to be a negotiation, um, you know, depending on the brand um, and, you know, how well the units are performing, right? The franchisor could uh, could could decide, you know, yeah, you know, we can generate a really nice multiple for, for us uh, here. Or, you know, if it's underperforming, you know, there may be a situation where, you know, you've, you've entered into a 10-year agreement and you have an expectation uh, that you're going to deliver, you know, a certain rate of performance in royalty revenue back to the franchisor over the rest of the term, right? I mean, the franchisor could, you know, require, you know, you to make that, that payment. Um, now, that's not exactly what's going to happen every single time. Um, but I think this goes to, you know, clear expectations, uh, that each side goes into on the front end of the relationship. Uh, but, you know, it is a business contract, but there's a relationship element to it as well. And, you know, stuff happens in life, right? You know, you could have, you know, you could, you know, we can all get it by a truck, right? Um, and so there are, you know, all these things are laid out um, in, in the agreement and, you know, are fair questions to be asking, you know, on the, at the front end of the relationship so that you go in, you know, clear eyed. Got it. Uh, we just have a few minutes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, be back with Matt Haller. And afterwards, I want to hear a little bit more about the role of the IFA. Don't go anywhere. This episode of Winning on Main Street is brought to you by Thrive, the small business management platform that you and your customers will love. No matter where you are, Thrive helps you run your business, keep organized, and get paid faster, all from one login and dashboard. Thrive makes it easy for customers to find you online, instantly interact, and stay engaged. And with free unlimited support 24-7, there really is no comparison. Go to thrive.com slash pod for a quick demo to see everything Thrive can do. And we're back with Matt Haller, the CEO of the International Franchise Association. Fascinating discussion about the role of franchising, how people can make money if you're interested in becoming a franchisee, uh, where you go for help. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about your organization, the International Franchise Association. First of all, it has the word international in it. So I guess international franchising is as big internationally as it is in the United States. Yeah, it's it's in you know every developed and developing country. Uh, I think there are 70 plus countries that have a, a franchising community of some sort uh, mm -hmm. around the globe. You know, we have international members, uh, so non-U.S. based franchisors who are members of the IFA. Around 70% of our members are doing business uh, outside the United States. Um, obviously, the most are in Canada and Mexico, but, you know, significant um, presence in Europe and Southeast Asia, South America, um, and beyond Australia. It, it, we've been spending all this time talking about, you know, small, like in, independent entrepreneurs versus franchisees. I guess there's a misperception out there that franchisees or franchises are not really small businesses, that they're part of this giant, you know, sort of conglomerate, yeah. right? Especially the big ones like McDonald's. Or, it, is it important to change that narrative? Is that part of what you talk to people in Washington about? Yeah, it's a constant battle. It, you know, franchising, it's not intuitive. Right. People, you know, other than people like me that are, you know, paid to do this, right? Don't wake up every day thinking, you know, how am I going to change the, per the perception of uh, of franchising? 
Um, and like we've perfected this sort of uniformity in franchising that gets delivered every day, whether you're going to a McDonald's or staying at a, you know, Hilton Garden Inn or, you know, you know, whatever, whatever this product or service may be. Uh, but by, by virtue of that success of the growth of franchising, uh, we've, there's not a human face of local ownership oftentimes, mm, yeah. right? When you go to, you know, particularly in this era where, especially in restaurants, you've got, you know, delivery or drive-through and there's, you know, less and less interaction even with, you know, humans. Uh, and so we've lost this local elements and, you know, franchisees have gotten bigger um, in scale. And, you know, many, as we talked about earlier, own, you know, multiple locations. Um, but at the, at its core, like franchising is, you know, franchisees are still, you know, the business owners, right? Um, not the brands. And, you know, that is what is unique um, and will never change about this, uh, this business model. Um, and when we look at performance of franchisee businesses versus independent businesses, um, they tend to, you know, they tend to be more profitable uh, for uh, franchisees and franchisees also tend to be more diverse and, you know, more women, uh, more minorities, more veterans. Um, so, so these are the stories that, you know, the IFA um, and by extension, we like to encourage our members to really, you know, be storytellers with one of your greatest assets. Um, Gallup just did research um, that they do, you know, every year longitudinally and, you know, big companies continue are, are now some of the most distrusted institutions uh, in America, along with, you know, politicians and government and media. Um, but small business owners are the single most trusted voice um, in America. And we have all these great assets of these franchise owners. And so we need them to be engaged in telling the story of how they got in. What are the risks? What are the opportunities, right, on our government relations and our advocacy, right? They need to be those people delivering those messages directly to policymakers and talking to the public uh, about, you know, public policies that might impact uh, this model. So uh, it is a constant battle. Like there will never be an end of like promoting and educating about franchising. Um, you know, it's, I guess it's good job security for people that work at the IFA. Um, you know, it's not like there's an exit strategy for a trade association that's going to sell to a private equity firm and, you know, have an exit event. Right. But um, it's an important aspect of what we do um, at the IFA, and I think important for anybody in franchising to you know understand that they can play a powerful role in changing that narrative. Yeah, you you bring up a really interesting point. You know, if you said to me who is the face of you know being a startup or an independent entrepreneur, I could think of a million. You know, Mark Cuban is 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 sort of associated. You know, the the Shark Tank guys, Kevin O'Leary, yeah. Elon Musk. You know. Many, many entrepreneurs you can think of off the bat. Someone said, who's the face of franchising? I'd probably say Ray Kroc, which is like yeah. the McDonald's from the 50s. The guy was, you know, was in the movie. Um, we really maybe need a, a face of franchising to sort of help give that voice. Uh, so it's, 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 that's an interesting point. Um, we just have a minute left. I'm just curious, what have been your biggest, personally, your biggest challenges since becoming the head of the IFA? I think the biggest challenge is probably that everyone's busier than ever. And especially in the last two years coming out of COVID and, you know, encouraging people to find time to 
you know, help us do our job, given what we know in terms of the research helps change outcomes most effectively. You know, at the end of the day, people are head down focused on like, you know, their business, um, but seeing themselves as part of something bigger and understanding what's at stake in terms of, you know, government policies that might be out there that could that could impact uh, the way that they do business or their ability to monetize their investment. I think that's probably my biggest challenge um, over the last couple of years. Yeah, terrific. Well, um, Matt, my last question to you is if, for people who want to find out more about franchising, who want to get involved, who may want to become a franchisee, who want to understand the economics, is the best place to go to the IFA site and give us that uh, URL again? Yeah, franchise.org is, is our site. There's a ton of information uh, that's there in terms of franchise opportunities, franchising education, and uh, you know, definitely encourage uh, encourage that. Terrific. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a great education for me, and I'm sure for our listeners, uh, great to have you here, and, and, and best of luck at the IFA. Thank you, Gordon. Appreciate it. And I want to thank our producer, Tim Alima, and our coordinators, Diet Barnett and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, Please tell your colleagues, friends, and family to subscribe. And we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us in the rankings. Small business runs better on Thrive. Get a free demo at thrive.com slash pod. And check out our new product, the Command Center, which you will find uh, for a free download. Uh, go to thrive.com for more information. Until next time, make it a great week.